Thank you for downloading this episode of the Mac Report Podcast. This episode is brought to you by our subscribers over at themacreport.com. Their support allows us to bring you our coverage of Merrimack Athletics. If you are a subscriber, I thank you. And if you're interested in becoming a subscriber and gaining access to all of our coverage, head on over to themacreport.com today and sign up. If you don't want to subscribe but still want to support us, please rate and review our podcast over on Apple Podcasts. Once again, thank you to our subscribers for making our coverage possible. And now, on to this week's episode. Hey, Ian, before we start, I got a question for you. If if I told you, I know Merrimack got swept by VU this past weekend, but if I were to tell you, like, in September, hey, they're going to be without, you know, arguably their best player in Alex Jeffries for, like, half of the first half of the season, and Chase Stevenson, who's, you know, the second-line center, is going to be gone, like, after the fourth game, uh, and two of their defensemen, uh, two of their top four defensemen are going to be out for a big, you know, for almost the entire first half, really, with the exception of Zivlak. Uh, and I, then I also told you they'll be, you know, just about 500 at the break with all of that. Oh, in Michael Zatara, who's going to emerge as the top six forward. Yeah, he's going to get hurt and miss like the last four games of the first half, too. If I told you all that was going to happen in September and then told you they'd still be like right around 500 and like 23rd in the pairwise, would you be OK with that? Yeah, I'd probably turn around and tell you to go play a Powerball number or something like that, because you're incredibly lucky to be sitting at 500. Um with all they've had to go through. I yeah, mean, think about it. Think are. about it, right? You can't you came out of camp and the word was immediately right out of the gate, okay, you're not going to have Alex Jeffries. Oh, okay. Um what is this team going to look like? And then you oh, hear it's, it's, it's okay, back, by the way, o- only a point and a half per game. <laughs> That's it. Just yeah, a point pre- and a half. Pretty per decent. Game. Pretty decent, right? And then you know you're not going to have Mike Brown, he's out for a bit because he had surgery in the offseason. You know you're going to be without him for a bit. Um, So you're down ultimately one of your top top two defensemen. I mean, as far as stay-at-home defensemen is concerned, right? Someone who you rely on to make the smart play, make the read that needs to be made at that point in time, whether it's play the puck high off the glass or go D to D, try and stretch the zone a little bit here, see where that F1 is leaning, which way they're your opponent's going to be setting up a forecheck, right? All those kinds of things. And just be physical I mean, in front of the net. Yeah. Box out, guys. Make it easier on your goaltenders to to find loose pucks, track rebounds, and figure out where guys might be at different point in time. It's, yes, has it been frustrating after what this team went through last year to see them struggle here early on? But the speed bumps, Mike. It's just you're incredibly lucky to be sitting at 500. And I, I don't, I don't mean that incredibly lucky. Yeah. In yeah. you know a, a look down kind of way. That's a good thing. This team is going to get healthier. You've got Alex Jeffries back. Mike Brown should be coming back. Hopefully, the return of the year. You just got Ivan Zivlak back this past weekend. I know we'll talk about him um, and his performance on Saturday night for for this team uh, at BU. Uh, you're going to get Michael Satara back hopefully sooner rather than later. So, I mean, there's things that this team has in front of them that they're, they're heading in a positive direction. But like I said, right off the jump, 
go play a Powerball number because all the things that this, all the punches that this team's taken here through the first two and a half months of the season, um, in to be five hundred going into the Christmas break is is uh, it's a pretty good thing. Well, it's funny because I, I the reason I bring it up is somebody is actually somebody who covers BU said to me today. Uh, I was having a, a separate conversation. They were like, "Well, you know, it doesn't look like Merrimack is who we thought they were." And I said, "Well, yeah, in the sense that they haven't had their full team on the ice a single time, like not once in fifteen games or fourteen games, whatever it's, it's been. If you if you mean it from that standpoint, they're not who we thought they were because the lineup they thought they were going to have in August has not been on the ice." for a single game this year, you know, then, yeah, I, I would agree. But w- once that lineup, which has the potential to all get back on the ice after the after the semester break, uh, if they can get everybody healthy again and, and everybody goes through injuries, I'm not trying to say it's like an excuse. Everybody gets banged up at points. Everybody goes through injuries. Not a lot of teams are without three, four top players from game one because the injuries usually happen at some point over the course of the season. So, you know, the fact that Zivlak is back, it sounds like Brown will be back after Christmas. I think Satara, it sounds like he may be back after Christmas. There was at one point thought that Stevenson might be gone for the year. Now I think there's a glimmer of hope that he may be back after Christmas, or at some point anyway. So there's the potential, knock on wood, if no one else gets hurt, that coming out of the Christmas break, they may finally have the team on the ice that they thought they were going to have in August. And I think two things. They were successful last year and and finished second in the league and went to the hockey's title game in what is, in retrospect, a weaker Hockey East league. Hockey East was not as good as 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 it is this year, as it was last year, that's for sure. But because of the fact that the league is so good this year in non conference play and has, I think, six of the top 11 teams in the pairwise right now, they can stay at around 500 and stay in contention for an at-large bid. Minnesota Duluth did it last year up until the end of the year when they almost, you know, they, they kind of faltered there at the end, finished four or five games below 500. But if there was at one point that Minnesota Duluth was a 500 team in like February in the NCHC who would kill everybody last year. They were a 500 team when they were like 15th, 14th of the pairwise because their league was so good. So they're, they're, getting, they're getting hurt in a sense this year because everybody, I, when I look at Merrimack, I think, look, I don't know that they necessarily got better than they were last year. And that's okay because they were really good last year, right? They brought a lot of guys back. They lost some guys. They replaced them with some freshmen. They had a couple transfers come in. But I think they're, you know, on paper, they're about what they were last year. All the teams around them got a lot better. BC's way better. Maine's way better. UNH is way better. Providence is way better. So it hurts them in the league standings that they're going to have to compete against these teams. But the fact that those teams are in their league – if they can stay around 500 overall and avoid, like, don't lose to Stonehill on the 29th of December, 30th, 31st of December, whatever that is, then we're going to get to March and they're going to be in contention. I'm not, I'm not predicting that they're going to make the NCAA tournament, okay? But they're going to be in the mix, which is pretty good, <laughs> uh, especially considering what they've been without in the first half. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the big thing, right, that you talked about is the whole argument from the Minnesota Duluth standpoint, right, from last year. How many times towards the end of the season were, were you and I or any anybody else, you know, that covers the team or covers the league, comes in, catches a game, whatever, we, we would stand around and talk after the game at different points saying, you know, okay, yeah, they're there. 
as far as a Merrimack standpoint, I should say right, right, right at the second. Merrimack's right there, but you got to worry about a team like Minnesota Duluth. They play in a tougher conference with the NCHC with the likes of you know North Dakota, Minnesota Duluth. I mean, we yeah. we can go through it. Last year, right? It was a lot we know tougher. we know the teams that are in that that are in that conference. So to flip the calendar to present day, right? It's a good thing. Merrimack might get a little bit of benefit out of this because now. Like you just said, they're in Minnesota, the loose shoes. You got BC, you got BU, UNH, Maine, Providence. Like you mentioned, half of this league, over half of this league, because it's technically an 11 team league. So five and a half of, you know, is half of 11. So um, it's just one of those things, right? You're going to be playing good teams. You played a good team this past weekend in BU. You know, Friday night got out of control. It was. Yeah. We'll we'll talk about that in a little bit. Saturday night obviously was a better first forty minutes, and then we heard Scott say, "Come the third period, that he kind of took some of the onus on him because he shortened the bench a lot more than he might have, you know, on a typical weekend, and he felt that it really hurt them." But like you said, playing good teams in this league is going to benefit this team if you can end up putting wins in your belt after Christmas. Yeah, and. They're, with the exception of Friday, I didn't think they played very well on Friday. Uh, but as long as you keep playing well, and again, I, I think we talked about this a week ago. That's like the, the measure to me is how are you playing, not necessarily the wins and losses. And I would even go back to last year and say, what did they have? Like that six game losing streak coming out of the new year last year? Whatever. Yeah, it was, they, it five, was like six, it was like games. one. It was like one five. It was like one five and one or one yeah. five and two, something like that, or one five and whatever. And what whatever the numbers and, were. And what was the conversation? Oh, they're not for oh, real. The season's over. We knew it. They're not for real. And I'm just—I'm talking like other, you know, people from that cover other teams or national people or even some people, you know, that, that are Merrimack fans. They would email me and we would read their emails on the show. Oh, they're not, they're not who we thought they were. They're not for real. Oh, we, I knew it. And what happened? They were fine. They made the tournament because in a lot of those games, they played fine. They just didn't. Some of them were bad. The Brown game was bad. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying everything was great. Some of those games were bad. But there was a stretch there. Like the last four games of that stretch, they were playing fine. They just weren't winning. And and it's more about you got to judge how they how they played. And I know people's eyes gloss over sometimes when I talk about advanced stats in the in analytics. Some people think they don't mean anything. They're not important. I think that they are. I think they can tell you something about the games. Uh, they're not the be-all, end-all, but I think it can tell you something about performance of a team. And if you don't think so, then fine. I mean, if you could tell me every event that happens in a hockey game from minute zero to minute 60, and you can replay it all in your head and tell me, oh, and this guy chipped the puck here, and then this guy won a puck battle here. If you can do all that, all the power to you. I can't, not a lot. I think it's virtually impossible. So the analytics, with no emotion, can can show us, okay, this is kind of the team performance for a game. The, they should have lost the game on Saturday. Expected goals on Saturday, BU won the game, just like they won the game 5-2. Uh, to two. The expected goals, 3.9 to 3.7. It's a relative tie. It's a relative tie. Uh, so that means as far as shots and shot quality, just about even. BU, BU converted on more than you, but it was just about even. So do I look at – Friday's game was was worse, by the way. I, forget, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it was – you know, I think – they, Merrimack actually kept it closer on Friday than the expected goals were, I believe, because uh, BU just had long stretches where they dominated the game. But you, so a virtual tie means it was pretty much a 50-50 game. You, could, you had as much of a chance to win as they did. And you can go back to a couple of different plays on that Saturday game. Like, Ty Deneau has the partial breakaway early in the third period. If he scores there and makes it 3-1, to one, it's a different game. 
Now he now mm-hmm. it didn't go in, but I, I'm saying it was still a chance that gets that has an expected goal total attached to it and it gets aggregated in, into the total. So the chances were there. And the law, I mean, the law of averages says you keep generating chances, you're gonna score goals. This is a team, by the way, that right now is actually scoring more goals on average than they did last year. That's a good thing, right? Yeah. And, and I, if I were to, again, if I think if, if I were to ask people, do you think they're scoring more or less than they were a year ago? I think most people just off, off memory would have been, well, last year's team was really good. They got to be scoring less than they were last year. Nope. <laughs> nope. They're actually scoring more by like half a goal a game. So, and, and that's just, and that's just on average. Okay. That's just on average. Last year's, uh, this year's team is averaging 3.07 goals per game. Last year's team, I'll pull it up right here. Last year's team averaged 2.79 goals per game. So almost about a quarter of a goal more per game than they scored last year. Now, they're also allowing more than they scored last year. 2.34 last year, 2.8 this year. But again, also that goes without, back to your point of yeah, not having two, your, two, best two, top, two of your top defensemen <laughs> for the first, uh, call it, first half of the year. With a lot of those you goals... Know? Within like six feet of the crease, where you know Mike yep. Brown kind of owns that area when he's on the ice. Yep, uh, Mike two five and one was their record last year, following coming out of the Christmas break. There you go, and everybody said the season was over. So my, three my... two, three two win at Dartmouth. Sorry, real quick, yep. and then they split with Providence three nothing um, on the back end after getting thumped eight three. That's right. That's right, and then had a you know a tie in there against Yale, which we'll, we'll talk about. Tied Yale, tied Yale, lost six two against Brown. Yeah, that was uh, there was another one. loss. There was another loss against Providence in there. That was up in, uh, up in Hanover in the Ledyard Bank uh, Classic. Uh, pair of losses against Northeastern. I feel and if I remember things- correctly, I'd have to look. I think it was that Northeastern weekend where it was like, all right, it, it's starting to turn around a little bit. Like, they played better in that second Northeastern game, if I remember correctly. Yeah, because it was one nothing. That was the Northeastern. They scored with, like, 58 seconds left in the third period. Yeah. And um, I think, what, what, what did they do after that? Was Vermont the weekend after that? Split with Vermont. It, but this lost. is where they also had, like, a bunch of overtime games, right? Uh, no, not really. I thought the the, the loss with, to Vermont, I think, was an overtime. And then I thought, like, the main okay, overtime minus, was right yeah, after. Yeah. Okay, yep, yep. I got it. I got it right here in the box score. Yeah, it is. It is overtime. <laughs> yeah, and then, um, then you came home. You swept BU. You swept Lowell, and you finished um, the regular season out. So they won their last five down the stretch after a very shaky, yeah. uh, very shaky start to the second half. And that's where like there's ebbs and flows to this stuff. And look, and I, I said it last week. You do need to win. Because that's ultimately how these teams are going to be judged. They're judged on wins and losses, so you do need to win. Really? I, College football playoff committee disagrees. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it doesn't matter if you win. <laughs> yeah, sour subject for me. Let's 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 chug along. <laughs> hey, anybody that complains about the pairwise, though, this is why we have it, so that yep. a committee of people in a dark room aren't making decisions like they do in football. Um, yep. But. Is my, I've, I've always subscribed to the theory that if you play well and you continue to play well, even if you're not winning games, eventually you will. And in, in a 34-game season, sometimes you run out of time, okay? Just like you can play well in a game and run out of time. But yep. over the, the course of a year, you should win more than you lose if you can if you play well game to game. Now, I thought they played okay on Saturday. There was a stretch there 
you know, a couple of games ago where, where I didn't think they were playing well. And uh, we can, we can, we, we've rehashed some of those in recent weeks, but you know, coming back and getting healthy, which it, it seems like they will, they got one more game to the break at Yale on Friday. Once they come back from the break, if they're completely healthy, great. If they get just Satara and Brown back, awesome. Uh, but it, it feels like they're trending in the direction of having a lot more guys available, which means, look, it means, also means the coach is going to have to make some tough lineup decisions because you've got a couple of freshmen like Ty Deneau and Ethan Bono who have emerged here and seems like they're in the lineup, right? I mean, I don't think you're taking either one of those guys out. So if Satara comes back, and like, especially at forward, if Satara and Stevenson both come back, you've got some decisions to make when it comes to lineups. Yeah, I thought I thought Ty Deneau's played really well. I mean, we talked about it, right? He's... He he scored his first collegiate goal. Uh, what was what was it last weekend? Not not the BU weekend. Uh, yeah, Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah, yeah. First Thanksgiving three. weekend, right? He had his he, he had his first three, and then he followed up. He had another he had another one this this past weekend against BU. So he's kind of emerged onto the scene. When Tyler Young's got in the lineup, I've liked his game. I I thought he's provided a little bit of sandpaper, you know, to to when he's slid into the into the lineup. So I've like what I've seen out of him. And, you know, Scott's mentioned it before. He's not afraid to be faced with tough decisions because that means he has a healthy team. And yeah. that's a good thing for him to be dealing with. And even on D, I mean, I know, like, in an interview earlier in the year, I think it was right before the, the Arizona State series, he, he had said, like, you know, somebody like Max Waterfield, he wasn't sure how much he was going to play because, you know, he seemed like he was a little more of a, uh, of a it was going to be a kind of a development year for him. He's come in and has played great. Like, again, not to bore people, the people that, that think analytics don't mean anything, not to bore you, but as far as defensive zone take takeaways, so, you know, takeaways, causing turnovers in the D zone, he was third in the country entering last weekend. Third in the country. <laughs> Very impressive, you know, with, with his play in terms of forcing turnovers in the D zone. So... Uh, they're going to have some decisions to make even when Brown comes back. I mean, having the extra skater helps because you can maybe rotate that spot around a little bit, but uh, it's not it's not going to be easy. Look, I, I don't envy the situation they're going to find themselves in because now you do have uh, you know a number of guys that are playing well that uh, should make you a better team because now you're you're competing for ice time in practice uh, on a on a weekly basis instead of you know guys just kind of knowing, hey, well, <laughs> we got six healthy defensemen, I'm playing no matter what. <laughs> Yeah, de- yeah, more more bodies definitely is is going to be huge, and and the more the more that these guys get back healthy and they get on track, it's going to develop chemistry. It's going to allow for guys to to go out there and play confidently. It's going to allow them to know that hey, you know, there's going to be another guy to step to step up and and have my back in a certain situation. You know, especially some of the a couple of the younger defensemen. You know, a guy like Zach Bookman. Yeah, he's developed a little bit as a player. Well, I shouldn't say a little bit. He's developed a lot, but a guy like him, he can take a whole lot of experience from a guy like Mike Brown and Ivan Zivlak when they're healthy, when they're in the lineup. So getting those guys back in the lineup is, is on a consistent basis is going to be huge. If I remember correctly, Brown and Bookman were uh, D partners last year for big, long stretches, I think, right? They were, and I thought th- I thought the pairing of them together was was done tremendously because yeah. I mean you look at Bookman right he's a guy that wants to move and he wants to get up and be involved in the play and we've talked about how Mike Brown is a stay at home clean out the garbage in front of the net and defend the house so the pairing for them great combination and I think when Brown gets back into the lineup I think it's only going to help Zach take another step here and, and really 
flourish uh, late in the second half of the season. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Uh, let's get to a mailbag question uh, that is hockey-related, then we'll get to some basketball stuff. Uh, this is from Kim. Kim says, speaking of penalties, Zach Bookman drew two that were not called against BU, one on Friday night when he was taken down or at least interfered with by Lane Hudson, and on Saturday on the power play when uh, number eight wrapped his stick around him, causing him to crash into the goalie. Both penalties were clearly penalties, but no calls. Saturday's cost us a goal. Uh, yeah, I would agree. I mean, I, if you remember the Jeffries penalty in the first period, we were all kind of like, really? He's going alone there after that scrum? Uh, I think that was after Oh, the, you talking Saturday night? Play. Yeah, that was after the booking play where he kind of got shoved into the net. So, uh, yeah, those were – the officiating wasn't great, don't get me wrong, but there was also oh, – Friday night. Friday night was a debacle. Friday I mean, from – yeah. we, we had 106 penalty minutes, three major penalties on Merrimack. We had, in the middle of the second period, four – Four players, two two Terriers and two Warriors, at the same point in time, got called for matching roughs following a skirmish. And then on top of that, they all got handed out 10-minute misconducts. Yeah. So it was a full-on party in the penalty box. I had four Terriers to my left. I had four Warriors to my right. <laughs> and at one point, I actually had to turn to the BU guys because they were going back and forth amongst themselves with the officials and, you know, trying to throw the chirps across the way to the, to the guys on my right. I had to tell them, Hey fellas, can you give me a second here so I can talk to the officials? So I know what exactly is being brought in and you know what I'm, what I'm supposed to announce. So that way people know what the calls are on the ice, because it's kind of an important step because if I don't say something right, it comes back. Your coach is going to be the one that complains to, you know, the official, and then they're going to come over and look at me, and then it's going to go upstairs. Like, just zip it for 30 seconds, and then you can <laughs> chirp all you want. <laughs> I saw that conversation. I was wondering what was going on there, but I saw that. Co- I saw you talking to them at one point, and I was like, I wonder if he, is he just saying hello? Or <laughs> Oh, no, 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 no. There was, there was no, uh, there were no niceties being exchanged in the box by anybody at that point. And it was just, fellas, I need 30 seconds so I can jot this down in my notebook and then have at it let it fly i don't care <laughs> that's awesome uh moving on to uh oh actually before we move on yale on friday you got to beat yale you just do have to they're not have to they are they, they're not a good team they're not good no and and i know i said that last year and they didn't beat yale they tied them <laughs> and then they lost to brown who's also not a good team uh but yale is not a good team there are two and eight their wins are over brown and st lawrence uh they have lost Four in a row. They just lost to Long Island. Denver beat them a combined 14 to nothing in two games a couple of weeks ago. They have two goals in their last four games. Two. Ugh. Two goals in their Goodness. last four games. So uh, not a good team. So you cannot lose to Yale. That's all I'm going to say. You can't do it. So uh, I know there's, like I said, you can, there's, there's games where you can play well and lose. Uh, you could outshoot Yale fifty-five to ten. If you lose that game, it's, it's just it's going to kill you in the pairwise because they're like down near. 60. Oh, you're you're gonna you're gonna plummet. Yeah, they're they're you're down near like plummet. sixty. So it's just it's gonna just kill you. Uh, you, you can't. You, that's one where you can't lose to them because of the effect that it's going to have on your pairwise number and everything else. It's just you can't you can't lose that one. So. Um, Men's basketball, they beat Lowell on Saturday after we, we talked about the Georgetown game last week. Or no, we were recording during the Georgetown game, weren't we? Prior to. We, prior to. So we didn't talk about the my, Georgetown game. Plus 10 and a half, Mike. Cha-ching. There you go. Well, let's talk about both those then because they obviously the, te- the technical foul has been rehashed a bunch. It was ridiculous. Uh, the Georgetown game and then leading Florida at the half last night 
Merrimack has shown an ability, like as we have said before, of being able to hang in with these high majors for at least half the game. And, and in the case of Georgetown, it was the whole game. Uh, but Florida let him at the half, and then Florida, you know, became Florida in the second half and went on a 20-0 run and took control. Uh, but they're hanging in with these high major teams, which is good to see. And it, it kind of begs the question. I think they were picked fourth in the preseason, but are they the best team in the NEC? Because looking at what everybody else is doing, I think they are. I mean, they're still the NEC champs, right? So technically, yeah. you're still the best team in the league till somebody proves you otherwise. True, true. I, I, was I mean, more, more of like what people were saying in the preseason. Yeah, if you want, if you want to, if you want to look at it numbers wise, roster wise, and everything, and how this team is constructed coming back from last year, I can see why there would be question marks and why maybe this team dropped a couple of spots in the preseason NEC ranking when you're losing the guys like a big man in the middle and Jordan Minor and Ziggy Reed. That's a we talked about it. That's a one-two combo that's going to win you games. It's going to help you defensively, and it's going to help you on the offensive end. And we have now seen with the emergence of, you know, guys like Bud Clark. He's played well. Jordan Durkak is taking another step. I thought he looked great last night at different stretches. I mean, he's going up against an SEC school, so you're going to be facing, you know, higher quality competition out there on the court as opposed to what you're going to face on a nightly basis in the NEC. But I mean, you are looking for guys to come in and fill the void for a minor and for a read. I mean, Samba Diallo is coming in. He's giving you what you're kind of asking for. And, you know, maybe he's giving you a little bit more last night. He had, he had a quiet 14 points and six boards last night. I mean, he was five for five at the line, so he's a big man who can shoot free throws. That's always huge. Yeah. Not generally a combination that goes together. So Yeah. So, I mean, Diallo and Durkak were your highest scorers last night. Both had 14. Bud Clark, he had a he had an 11-point night. And, I mean, it just the defense in the second half from Florida, I don't know whether they – Obviously, they got more comfortable as the game went along. They, I thought Merrimack bugged the crap out of Florida in the first half, and you could see it right from the jump. Yeah, teams don't know how to play um, against his own. They just don't see it enough. And there were even quotes following following the game post, right? Like, um, their point guard came out afterwards. He's like, yeah, their their wings play so high, it's annoying to deal with, and yeah. like that that's the ju- that's the point of this of this zone. That's oh, what it does. I, I wrote that in my takeaways column. I go, oh, it's annoying. Good, it's working. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Kind of so I mean, you're getting contributions from a guy in Samba Diallo and uh, Adam Bud Clark right now. Obviously, Clark is a he's a point. You know, he's he's going to run your offense when a guy like Jerkat goes out of the lineup or, or subs off. You know. Um, you're going to see things from him there. So I like what I've seen from those guys. And like you mentioned, the rest of the NEC, not that good. No, At least at least so far early on. And they're I mean, struggling it, it, it could change. It could change, you know, but there are some non-conference games for some of these programs that aren't exactly the greatest of non-conference wins, no. you know, Sa- when you look at it. Sacred Heart's been okay. I mean, if you look at the Ken Palm rankings, Merrimack's 265 or 263 in the nation. That's the top team in the NEC. They, Ken Palm has them now projected to win the NEC. Uh, Sacred Heart's 280. They're the next closest. And, you know, Sacred Heart has some decent wins. They've beaten Holy Cross, Loyola, Binghamton. Um, 
Central Connecticut's 290, Wagner 294, Fairleigh Dickinson 318. Those are kind of the top contenders, but uh, Merrimack's 17 spots ahead of Sacred Heart at 280. So uh, they have, you know, and again, these are projections, but they have Merrimack winning the NEC by, I think, two games. I think they have them going 11 and 5. Wow. And I think they had Sacred Heart going uh, 9 and 9 and 7. 9 and 7, I think. I think it was, or maybe it was 10, maybe it was 10 and 6. I got to look. But either way, uh, by a game or two. So, uh, you know, again, that all has to play out. Injuries can happen and can throw everything, you know, sideways. But um, the fact that they're continuing to beat high major teams and then uh, compete, excuse me, with high major teams and then beat Lowell on Saturday, a Lowell team that. That was a good win. Beat Georgia Tech. Their only loss was the Arizona State by two points. They led by six with 30 seconds left and, and let it slip away. They're almost an undefeated team. You know, that's going to be one of the best teams in the in America East, at least it looks like. So, uh, yeah, I, I, that's a really good win. And, and they're, they haven't really been blown out in any of these games. You know, a 20-point loss to Florida, like, you were in it at halftime. You, you that's expected. That, that's, a, that's a win to me. The loss at Ohio State was probably the, the, the most lopsided one of the year. But, you know, whatever. It, it's still, you're playing Ohio State. Right now, they're 25th in Ken Pop. So the 25th team in the nation by computer rankings. And, and you lost by 24? Okay. <laughs> no, that's yeah. fine. Like, you're, you're not supposed to win that game anyway. Um, UMass Lowell, by the way, 127, ranked 127, projected to go 21-8, and eight, projected to go 12-4 and four in America East, and tie with Vermont at the top of the league. So that's a good win. Oh, and, oh, and Vermont, another team that you faced on your schedule, too, yeah, first exactly. game out of the shoot. Exactly. So, uh, really good win. And their losses, I mean... With the exception of probably Alabama State, all of their losses have been to teams that you'd sit there and go, well, yeah, they, not that you should have lost, but they're the favorite. Vermont's one, so Merrimack's 263 in the nation. Vermont's 121, Ohio State's 25, Florida's 33, Samford's 131, Georgetown's 176, Alabama State's 326. You look back and go, Alabama State's the one you should have won. But Alabama State is also the game where like they just they couldn't shoot. <laughs> like the shooting just went completely cold in in for most of that game. So yeah, I, I think this team looks good. And I think they're they look better than people thought because I think everybody looked at well Javon Bennett's gone and Reed's gone and Miner's gone. Um you know it's this is still a really good team and they've integrated new guys really well. I also wonder too, you know, kind of looking at it at it in, in retrospect how much the grass isn't always greener type of thing. Like I, I wonder what those three guys in particular are thinking right now. I mean, Bennett's I think starting at Dayton and, and playing quite a bit. Um, so he probably is, is fine with the move. Uh, Reed is, I don't know if he's starting, but he's playing a good chunk uh, of the minutes in at Youngstown state, you know, minor. I, I think we all expected Jordan minor was going to be coming off the bench when he goes to Virginia and he is, but not only is he coming off the bench, he's like barely playing. He's playing like 10% of their minutes. So, um, you know, is that one where, you know, I'm not saying necessarily that he looks at it and goes, man, I wish I stayed at Merrimack, but does he look at it and go, maybe I, I should have transferred somewhere else? Because, yeah, you're going to Virginia. Yeah, you're going to play at a, in a Power 5 conference, but, I mean, he's not he's not playing. So, uh, you know, I wonder if there's any – if he, if he maybe not. Maybe he's fine. Maybe he expected that going in, but – uh, I do kind of wonder if he's looking at it going, man, you know what, I, if I if I could have done it all over again, would I have done something different, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, obviously at the time, right, he's thinking, okay, Virginia's obviously showing him the interest, so they're going to be pushing, you know, hey, come on, come on down to Charlottesville, you know, and 
he's looking around trying to find a right fit. And, you know, at, at the time he thought, Hey, they're offering something, you know, it's a good opportunity for me. So I'm just going to go and see what is coming to me down the road. You know, it's one of those things where it's easier to look back in hindsight and say, Oh shoot, I made the wrong decision. But at that point in time, he probably, in you know, rightfully so thought, you know, I'm happy with my four years at Merrimack. Yeah. It's just time for me to go on and see a different part of the world. Yep. Uh, and then lastly, let's finish up here with a mailbag question for basketball. This one comes on Matt. Uh, he or comes on Matt. Comes from Matt. Uh, Matt says, hey, uh, what are the benefits of going to Ohio State and Florida and losing by 20 points? I don't get it. Why go out and play a game where you know you're going to lose? Does that really grow the brand? I heard you talking about recruiting with Joe Gallo, but that can't help recruiting if you're going to these places and losing by 20 points. Uh, well, I mean, I I think the first benefit, Ian, is somewhere, there's in, the a nice paycheck. Yeah, somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 grand. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a really nice paycheck that comes along with going to, going to take one on the chin from a Florida or Georgetown yeah. or Ohio State, you I know, mean, whenever you contracts. go to play those big schools. We don't have those contracts, but I'm guessing somewhere, based upon some of the ones that have become public through – uh, FOIA's request somewhere between eighty and hundred grand is, is why you take some of these games. Yeah, <laughs> it finances your program. <laughs> like that, that's that's reason number one. Yeah, it pays for all your hotel and travel when you're on the road in the yeah. conference for for pays this for year and potentially next year. <laughs> it pays for salaries. I mean, if you pay that you're taking, too, you know, four games at a hundred grand a pop, that's four hundred grand. That's that's a good chunk of your budget, I bet. Yep. Uh, so that's that's number one. Also, too, like. Yeah, you're not you're not the favorite. You're not supposed to win these games, but you don't you don't, you don't think your players want to play in these games? I guarantee you they do. You know, you're you're like, telling you're telling me that if you know so so hypothetically here, let, let's let's put Matt in a situation here, right, where he's on the roster with Coach Gallo, right? He's on the roster. You're telling me he gets recruited, or he's in the process of being recruited, and Coach Gallo shows up to his house and sits down in the kitchen with his mother, his father, sister, you know, what whatever the situation may be. Hey, we want you to come to Merrimack. Guess where we're heading next year? We're heading to Cameron Indoor Stadium to take on Duke University. Yeah. You're telling me that Matt wouldn't be over the moon for a chance to go play in front of Cameron well, fans if he's a thing. if he's a big basketball guy or Lawrence yeah. Fieldhouse for a Jayhawk fan. I think it does help because because <laughs> Gallo was mentioned this. Like, it, yeah, you're not bidding getting recruited by an ACC school, but. They have now shown a history every year of hey we're going to play four or five of these games you know and we're going to we're going to a lot of these games you're going to do well in you're going to play Gonzaga Indiana um, Georgetown Florida Cincinnati whoever and we're we're going to see what happens you know <laughs> and if you win like you do against like you did against Northwestern or like you almost did, they get a ton of buzz out of the Georgetown game just because they almost won you don't even that's from a from a like a buzz standpoint, you don't even have to win. You just have to almost win <laughs> and have a controversial uh, technical called late in the game for, you know, a million people to be talking about it on social media and have it be a big story in college basketball the next day. So that that's why. And, cause, and also because your players want to play in these games. I guarantee you they do. If you ask a player, hey, do you want to play a D3 team at home or do you want to go play at Florida? Every single player on that team is saying, I want to go to Florida. Go to the hard, the hardwood, the hardwood swamp, right? Yeah. I don't know if that's what they call their basketball court, but you know they it call should. the football stadium the swamp. So <laughs> the hardwood swamp. There you go. 
They should. Uh, all right, so let's see. Basketball's got Felician coming up on Saturday. Then they're at Cincinnati on Tuesday. Merrimack Hockey's at Yale on Friday. Uh, and then, you know, we, we head into some semester breaks, at least with hockey. I think basketball still has got a few more. Uh, or they start up quicker, I think. They got like BU on the 20th, I think, or something like that, 22nd? Uh, the 22nd, they got Bucknell. Oh, Bucknell. And BU's the 30th, Bison. I think. BU's the, the 30th. 30th, correct. That's that's a that's a road game, though. That's yes. at BU. Yes, Bucknell's at home. Yes, and then so. conference play opens up Thursday, January fourth. There it is. So we're gonna... against FDU, a rematch of the NEC title game from last year. That should be an electric atmosphere it's start uh, in real. Lawler. And also, shout out too, by the way, to the uh, to the folks at Lawler for uh, last Saturday's performance of flipping it from uh, yes. or Friday, I should say, excuse me, flipping it from a women's basketball game against UC Riverside um, at eleven a.m to getting the building completely flipped over like a bull gang experience at TD garden to being able to host a uh, hockey East game at seven 30 against Boston university on Friday. So just kudos to those guys. First time it had ever been done at, uh, at the campus. And uh, those guys do deserve a little, uh, little shout out. Great 100%. job to them. Very well done. Very well done. Uh, there was a timeline. I saw a timelines video. There's a time-lapse video somewhere. I think Merrimack tweeted it yesterday. So. Yes, I did. Oh, and also, too, uh, we haven't had a chance to talk about it since, too. Uh, Merrimack is now into the uh, adult beverages yes, category, huh? That. Did you see that? I saw that. That's pretty cool. I've got one sitting in my fridge. I haven't uh, I haven't enjoyed it yet. I'm waiting for the right opportunity. Maybe uh, maybe a Friday night post-victory over Yale. That, that sounds like a good time. I'm going to have to grab one. I haven't grabbed one yet, but I'm going to have to. So Yeah, definitely. Definitely looks like a good, uh, like a good take, so. Before we head out, where, be can sure. people, uh, where can people find you on the, the World Wide Web if they want to find on you? The world, on the World Wide Web? Yes. Um, you Al can Core's find me on, on <laughs> Al Core's in it. On Twitter, uh, <laughs> at Ian Bow, I-A-N-B-E-A-U. Um, also, over on TikTok as well, uh, at P-A-Guy-Bo. I've been doing, uh, been doing some TikTok content over there. Not a whole lot. I'm not, I'm not really big into the whole TikTok thing. I'll, I'll go on, but like I'm just using it just to share some of my stuff and, and what I do. Just that, that's all it is. It's also it's, cool. it's not every not very often you get to announce an entire starting lineup with five NHL draft picks in it, exactly. like I did on or four NHL draft picks and one future number one overall. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So no, it's cool. I, I've just been trying to do some stuff there. So at Twitter, um, at Ian Bo, or I guess X now is the proper platform, Whatever it's and called. then uh, over on TikTok. Uh, PA guy, Bo, you can find me over there. All right. Ian, thanks as always. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you next week. I know there's not a lot going on next week, but maybe we'll do like a first half wrap up or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good to me, Mike. Appreciate the time as always. All right. That's Ian Bouchane. Thanks for joining as always. Uh, quick break. We'll be back with Scott Bork in just a minute. Sage, what about this stick? I like the orange in it. No, mom. What is this? This stick is so dusty. There's no more Geno's left in it. I can take it from here, mom. What kind of tweet are we looking for here, bud? Just a stick so I could toss sauce Chef Boyardee style. Something more apples versus buckets. Yeah, as long as I could still snipe Bar South and Sally. All right, I got the perfect twig for you. It's going to be this stick here, mid-flex point stick, completely accurate for buy down every time. This is awesome. I love it. TSR Hockey. We speak your language. All right, here with the head coach of the Merrimack Men's Hockey Team, Scott Boer. Coach, uh, got Yale this weekend, one game weekend before heading into the break. Uh, how'd the week go? It's been a pretty good week. You know, we took a, we took some time. Uh, obviously, last weekend was pretty disappointing and very emotional. And 
uh, thought we uh, emotionally were very tired. We still are, really. Um, this hasn't gone how we had drawn it up, um, and I think we the break will be healthy for us. Um, but we're going to be practicing with the guys who are pretty excited about getting out there. And I, if you can hear the bus that I'm on right now, I'm excited <laughs> about going to Yale. So it should be it should be fun. Yeah, one more game, obviously, to go here before the break. I mean, uh, is that something that you think? some of these guys are looking forward to in terms of being able to maybe uh, obviously get finals coming up and things like that but also I'm, I'm sure guys will get home and, and see family and stuff like that over the holidays definitely and you know it, the Christmas break was always important to me when whenever I've been at uh, wherever I've worked but nowadays when you have the guys there all summer as well um, it's, it's even taken on a larger importance I think for your team second half that you know, you've been grinding basically since July, um, not as practice mode, but workouts and skills and all that stuff. And on campus and not home with your family and uh, taking the opportunity to do that right now is really important. So I'm, I'm happy we're getting a chance and hopefully finals go well and then we'll get the break and then we'll come back fighting. Does that almost make it easier, almost better in a sense that uh, you're on the road for this last game and there's a little bit of travel involved, so at least tomorrow on Friday when you guys get up and get going, it's going to feel like a game day and, and it kind of zeroes everybody in, And I, I would imagine, right, instead of having to be at home when maybe you're, you're looking a little too far ahead to maybe being at the break, at least this way where you guys are on the road and actually traveling tonight, it's going to kind of be you know game mode, I would think, for tomorrow. 100%. Like, I think we did this last year on the same weekend. We traveled, I think it was to UMass. Um, and it was good being, you know, guys in finals, we had guys studying during the afternoon. Uh, but being on the road made it feel much more like we had a job to do hard life. And so uh, I think that's a good thing we're on the road. And I certainly prefer it to being at home right now and the whole campus is thinking about finals. So um, I think it will be good, and, and we're excited to do it. Uh, in terms of health, I mean, I know it's only a one-game weekend. You guys got Zivlak back last weekend, which is big. Uh, do you think you'll see anybody else in there tomorrow, or is it, are those other guys, Brown and uh, Sitar or Stevenson, do you think they're more likely after the break where this is just kind of a one-more game and then you get three weeks off? Uh, yeah, right now, uh, yeah, I think Michael Sitar will definitely be back after the break. Um, Brownie's looking more and more like he'll be back after the break. Um Chase is actually going to try to play tomorrow. Uh, we're going to give it a bid, um, see how it goes. He's practiced this week uh, a couple of times, feels very good. Um, it's just going to be a, a situation where he's going to have to manage it. And uh, if he can, then he, you know, he'll continue to play. And if he can't, then obviously he'll need surgery and he'll move on to that stage of this. Um, but I'm excited he's playing tomorrow. He's a really uh, important part of our group. Uh, younger, uh, Tyler Young is out, um, and we're not certain on his return. Uh, he's got an MRI tomorrow, and we'll, we'll know more then. Um, but that would obviously be pretty disappointing, given given the start he had and how hard he worked to get ready for this season. Um, you know, I just hope it's not taken away from him and him from us. Yeah, yeah. It looked like he was battling through something there on Friday. Uh, I, I was almost a little surprised to see him in, in there on Saturday because it looked like he was. He was battling through some stuff. on. I think he took a hit in front of the bench, and it just felt like he was kind of battling through some stuff there on, on Friday night, but kind of gutted it out and 
with, with Stevenson too, I mean, the, the fact that I know it's only a couple years old, it's still fairly new though, the fact that you get that extra skater, does that make it easier to do that with a guy like him where you're not counting on him to take a regular shift? I mean, if, if he's in there and you've got that extra skater spot, if, if you've got to get through a situation and he needs a shift off or can't go, you've got someone else you can go to, I, I would imagine it makes it, uh, this may not be an opportunity he would have had under the old rules where you didn't have that extra player that could dress him. 100%. I think this is one of the reasons for this rule. Uh, I don't know if people thought of it when they put it in, but I do think it gives you that flexibility to give someone a chance like this. Sometimes it's a way that you get young players in and get chances that they aren't getting chances. But in this case, you know, it's shift to shift with him. And, and that's important that we're not relying on him as one of 12, but being able to rely on him as one of 13. Uh, so he's getting a chance throughout any chance of really hurting his team. Um, I think that's a very valuable opportunity. So that's a very valuable roster spot. And uh, we've used it a couple of times that way this year, and it's been very valuable. Obviously, you guys got Zivlak back last weekend, too. And uh, what did you see from him? And I don't think we really got a chance to talk about him last week, but uh, what did you see from him in his first two games back? I, you know, I was really impressed, actually. I thought, you know, coming back to your first two games when everybody's already up to game speed. Uh, and you're not because you haven't played in a long time. Uh, and to have those two games be against BU, uh, the emotional level that those two games were, uh, I thought that you know, he did really well, really well. And if we can just build from those two games moving forward, he's going to be an important piece moving forward for us the rest of the way. Yeah, it looked like he was a lot more comfortable on Saturday, for sure. Maybe just a little more sure of himself. I'm sure there's a there is a transitional period there is when you when you've been out for as long as, as he was I mean, it was you know a few months so uh, but it looked like he got pretty comfortable you know pretty quickly which is a good sign especially against a team that attacks as much as as BU does I totally and because we spent some time in our own end right and he had to play a lot of minutes in that zone and that's where injuries tend to you know flare up on you because it's the last place you want to play uh, on the rink and then you're also cutting and cutting and turning and doing a lot of uh, very quick twitch movement, um, and I thought he handled it really well. So I, I think that was a really good sign for him personally and, and a really good sign for our team. Uh, last weekend we were talking about Ty Deneau, who had kind of his breakout weekend over Thanksgiving, and uh, now you know it feels like Ethan Bono may have had his breakout weekend. I think we talked about him last Thursday too, and I said, you know, it's, it seemed like he'd been playing really well. It wasn't on the score sheet yet, but you, you could kind of feel that it was coming, uh, and then it came over the weekend where he gets that first goal. Uh, it, it seems like he, both those freshmen over the last two weeks have, have taken a big step in terms of the type of role that, that they may have, not only in, in future years, but maybe even in the second half of this one. No question. I, I think that uh, we're looking at the two guys who I believe, um, you know, we'll lose, we're going to lose a lot this year, right? Older players, uh, impactful players, players who have made uh, done a lot for the program. Um, and, you know, losing those guys will be difficult. But the two players uh, we're talking about certainly have shown to me, and I think to their teammates, that they can step into those roles and, and carry that gauntlet forward. And that's it's great to see. You know, when a young freshman has that kind of an impact on the game, that's really positive, you know, not only for their future, but for the teams. I know when we talked on Friday, uh, obviously, you know, you weren't real pleased with how Friday night's game went in terms of just how you played and some of the penalties and stuff like that. Uh, didn't really get a chance to ask you on Saturday, I don't think. Um, but how much, how important do you think was it to have 
that type of response on Saturday. Just And it wasn't the result you wanted, I get that, but still just in terms of the way the game was played and to face some adversity in that game early, giving up a goal 23 seconds in, you know, the the penalty trouble that happened on Friday, you give up a goal early like that, it kind of feels like it, the snowball's rolling downhill. It can almost lead to that type of game. But to avoid that stuff and then actually end up, you know, getting the lead at one point as well, uh, I think showed a lot about the group in terms of how they handled that, that whole situation, bouncing back from Friday and doing so in a game where they you guys gave up a goal so, so early. No, I thought that – I agree. I thought that was – that was a really – and I said that to our captains. I said, hey, we made progress. It wasn't the progress we wanted to make. We didn't get the W, which is why we came here. Um, but we made progress as a team – uh, because we played the game the right way, gave ourselves a chance to win, didn't get in our own way, um, did some nice things, you know, and ironically, you know, watching the film was difficult because uh, we gave up those four goals or three goals in the third period. Uh, I don't count the open netter, right? So, but the other three, you know, two of them, we just turned pucks over in the wrong area of the rink. Yeah. Um, and I really felt that if we hadn't given them because they weren't getting opportunities, um, but we just gave them those two. And that's, you know, we found a way to lose the game, and that's disappointing. Um, but I think that our team um, made a nice step going from Friday to Saturday. And now as we headed to the second half after tomorrow night, um, and we need to understand that every weekend is going to carry that same importance, that same emotional level, and we have to respond to it pro- appropriately and maturely. Uh, speaking of tomorrow night, you guys are heading down to Yale. You're going to play Yale. Uh, first time down there since 2013 uh, that Merrimack has traveled down to Yale. Obviously, you guys played them last year, too, and they're they're kind of in a similar spot to where they were a year ago in terms of, uh, you know, they're not real high up in the pairwise, have had some struggles. Um, but, you know, last year we remember that game you know, didn't go the way you guys wanted it to go uh, that weekend against Yale and Brown. So is that kind of in the back of the head a little bit uh, in terms of, uh, even the players being like, hey, you know, you can't take anything for granted. This is still a team that competes hard and, and uh, you know, can can beat you if you don't bring your best. And, and, and on top of that, you got to be in their rank. And yeah. I, you've been to the Yale Whale. It's not an easy place to play. Um, and you'll be there and you'll have, you know, someone else's official, uh, which usually leads to an extra power player, too, for the, the home team. Um and we, we are going to have to deal with it. And I brought that up today. So last year we went into that Yale game. I, I don't know, we were the third or fourth in the country at the time. And um, we had to scratch and claw just to tie the game. And they, they all competed us, I thought, and they worked their tail off. And we got to be ready for that kind of a game because I've watched their games, even their Denver games, where they, you know, unfortunately got blown out. Um, they just have the skill to stay with that team, but their work ethic in those games was outstanding. Uh, watching their game against um, Quinnipiac, their work ethic was outstanding. And LIU, so this is a team that's going to make you earn every inch of ice you're going to get, um, and we got to be prepared to earn that. Uh, one game weekend. Uh, I know it's not till tomorrow. Maybe that this decision will be made later. But any idea what you're going to do with the the goaltenders this weekend, where it's just the one game? No, honestly, not yet. Um, I've actually thought of some really bizarre things, like maybe split them. Um, I don't know. Like it's, it's funny. In some ways, I think that wouldn't be a bad idea, getting both ice before you one break. Um, you know, the opportunity to get some game ice is important. Uh, and our next game is into 
you know, uh, almost 20 days away. And that's a long break between games for a goaltender. It's, it's a long break between games for anyone, but for the goalies especially. Um, so I got to be, I'm, you know, we get down there, we'll practice tomorrow morning, we'll have a conversation and, you know, make a decision then. But, um, I'm kind of putting that decision out of my mind. Thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> it seems like it's, it's, I mean, it was the same thing last year. I mean, they're both, both guys are playing well to the point where, I mean, look, it's a good problem to have, right? Uh, but both guys are playing well to the point where, like, it is, it's a difficult decision trying to figure out who's going to play because they both are, are playing well enough to play. They both are. And, um, you know, we put them in some difficult situations with our own. Uh, lack of attention to detail defensively on occasion. Um, but as they know, like their job is, you know, that they don't call them catches, they call them saves. And that means you make a save. And, and, and uh, you need to make one more save than the other guy. And, hey, we lost both games last week, and I thought they both played very well, but we lost both games. So we're searching for the winning formula, and we get someone in there who's going to, you know, make one more save and give us a chance, a better chance to actually get over the hump and win that game. Um, and I think they've both played well. We need one of them to play great. All right, Coach. Well, hey, best of luck this weekend. Uh, maybe next week we'll do kind of a, a first-half recap and, and kind of look back, but certainly good luck this weekend as you guys close up the first half. I appreciate that. would be great to do. Just let me know when. All right, that is the head coach of the Warriors, Scott Bork. We'll be back in just a second. I'm Cole Caulfield, and I played college hockey. I'm Adam Fox, and I played college hockey. I'm Jake Gensel, and I play college hockey. I'm Johnny Gaudreau, and I play college hockey. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. For more information, visit collegehockeyinc.com. That is going to do it for this week's edition of the Mac Report podcast. Thanks to Scott Bork for being our guest. Thanks to Ian Bouchane for kicking off the show with me in our first segment. Uh, we will have an episode next week. At the very least, Ian and I will be back to wrap up the weekend, which of course includes Merrimack basketball playing Felician. Uh, they're also on the road at Cincinnati next Tuesday, uh, and men's hockey is down at Yale on Friday night to finish their first half of the year. So at the very least, Ian and I will be back next week to wrap up the happenings of the weekend. Uh, we'll try to get a guest on as well. This is always that weird time of year where uh, sometimes you know, semester break happens and people go home and, and schedules get a little messy, but we'll do our best to have a guest on next week too to kind of wrap up the first half uh, of both those sports. And then looking ahead to the second half, which for basketball and hockey both pretty much starts right away, right after the holidays. Uh, Merrimack, the, the basketball team almost doesn't really have a break. They play Bucknell on the 22nd of December, uh, and then hockey gets going again on the 29th uh, down on the road against uh, Brown. And then their first home game is back on the 31st against Stonehill. So that's going to do it for this week's edition of the show. Thanks to everybody for listening. Thanks for downloading the show. Uh, thanks to you who have given, given us ratings on, on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate that. And of course, thanks to our subscribers over at the Mac Report for making all of this coverage possible. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you next week on the Mac Report Podcast.